Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode two of Alive at 825, your weekly St. Paul Arts podcast. A couple of quick notes before we start the interview with our special guest this week. First, this was recorded well before the outbreak of COVID-19. I think that should be said for slightly obvious reasons. And then second, we had some technical difficulties during this recording and did actually lose a little bit. So if it feels like the conversation jumps, Please excuse us, but I did my best to recap. I hope you enjoy. start this uh my name is chris wilborn and i am the host of this here podcast which is called alive at 825 a reference to the victoria theater art center building on university avenue in st paul and we have here today say mukta do you want your whole name or should i just be calling you say mukta mooks what do you want i want my whole entire name your whole i don't know if i have your whole entire name uh i can't i can't introduce myself yeah yeah (laughs) Um, so on paper, my name is Sai Mukta Duang Pusai Vong Sai. Um, all my friends call me Mooks, so yeah. Mooks is totally fine. Okay. But like my literary life is Sai Mukta Duang Pusai Vong Sai. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I have a couple things that I went on the internet and Googled to see about you. You, you are, professionally stalked me. I professionally stalked I love you. It. I promise I did not unprofessionally stalk you. <laughs> Um, you are a Sally Award winner. Yes. Which is pretty cool. Thank you. You are a writer. Yes. An author. Mm-hmm. Um, you are an uh, artist, advocate, somewhat of a foodie. But not in the snotty way. Not not in like the way that my wife, Iboon, does it. Just in the glutton way. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you are a general mover and shaker. Um, refugee is, is your is your sort of like... Uh, a refugeeist or refugee is refugeenius. Refugeenius. There yeah. we go. It did not wow. translate well in here. Yeah. <laughs> um, as seen on United States of United Shades of America with Kamau Bell, which is like yeah. a pretty cool booking. Yeah, that was fun times. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to get you here today to talk about sort of like all of the art that you do, which is pretty broad, mm-hmm. and how you connect that to your community. And I'll ask you first, what do you define as your community, sort of geographically and culturally? Yeah. um, So for me, when I think about community, I think about, one, the ethnic Lao community. Mm -hmm. And then I think about Laotians overall, because Laos is made up of over 90 ethnic groups. So I think about Laotians. I think about Lao American. So that's very specific, too. Mm -hmm. And then Laotian Americans. Um, And sometimes when I say American I'm also thinking of people who aren't necessarily citizens or naturalized or whatever, um, but because they're here and they're contributing and they're just living here and just having families or whatever, to me, they're Americans too. Okay. Um, I think about the East Side. I think about St. Paul, Frogtown, Midway, Rondo, because I grew up in these areas. Mm -hmm. Um, South Side for like two years. (laughs) Just, just a little bit of Southside. Just yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. of Southside. Yeah, yeah. Like fourth to fifth grade, you know? That's okay. Just a little bit. Shout out to our friends in yeah. Minneapolis. Tuttle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what else? Um, I also think about um, women of color, um, um, writers, artists. So 
so many people. You know, I think about the queer community too. Okay. Um, I think about refugees, former refugees. Great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. Um, when did you decide that you were going to really focus on art? And I realize that's kind of a broad question, mm-hmm. but, um, we all like sort of like in junior high or high school, like have these ideas of what we're going to be when we grow up. Mm-hmm. And for at some point, those either do or don't turn into career moves. And I get the sense that for you focusing on your art and your writing was a pretty early choice. Mm-hmm. So do you have like a moment in your mind where you can pinpoint and say like, this was the turning point? Mm-hmm. No, no, not really. There, was a, there really wasn't like a turning point. But I knew that when I was like in middle school, I already, I kind of came up with this um, moniker like refugeenius just because I just liked how that sounded. Mm-hmm. And maybe I was a little older than 12 or 13 when I came up with that. But I never like, I just had it written all over my notebooks. Okay. And I, I used to keep these notebooks in middle school. I started them in middle school. There were these composition notebooks. Just I just wrote in them all the time. They each had different names. I think to date I have about like 17 of those notebooks. I just kept writing from middle school all the way to college. Sure. Um, 80% of those poems are like crap, but... I can relate. Yeah. I can relate. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, when we met in Morris, I was still like in my, the thick of like writing in those things. Sure. Um, let's see. There was a point where I realized that I could actually make money and make a living from being an artist. And that's when I decided that, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to do this. Um, and that was probably in college when I wasn't good at the majors that I intended. Sure. I wanted to go into psychology, and then I realized that's hard. Yeah. That's a lot of thinking. And you do a lot of things. thinking. You might have been a pretty of, good at it, actually, no, though. <laughs> not like... <laughs> yeah, but... um. I did, I did horribly as a student. And so I was like, maybe, maybe I, I shouldn't, I should find my strength. And my strength was in reading and writing. I just loved stories. I like to write stories. I like to talk about stories. Sure. Um, so then I figured, you know, what major lets me do that? And someone said, uh, English. And I was like, oh, that's, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, that's smart. You want to shout out whoever told you that? I don't remember who. <laughs> I don't remember who. Um, but I remember when... Some spoken word poets came to campus. I think it was Bao Fi, and I forget who else. Um, but basically, you know, when they came, our student groups paid them. Right. And so I was like, what? You yeah. can get paid to like read poems? And so I decided, I want to I wanna pursue this professionally. Sure. And kind of just professionally stalked Bao. Um, went to all his readings, all this stuff. And you're you're not the only him. person that I know that did that for the record. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's bow. Like, yeah. If you're not professionally stalking him, like what are you doing with your life? <laughs> right. Um, but that's when I decided, you know, some friends were, were also giving me resources. Like here's the writer's market book. This, if you want to make it, you got to get published. You want to put your name out there. You want to build an audience. This is what you have to do. And so early on, people were already giving me tips, um, how I should be focusing, how to strategize, helping me create like a 10 year and five year roadmap for my career. Wow. And already throwing me out there into like, you know, open mics and things like that. So I was very fortunate. Um, 
So, so is, yeah. is this sort of where you feel like you were cultivating your identity as an artist sort of internally at this point is yeah. in working with these people? Mm-hmm. Where Where is this taking place? Help me set the This the scene. is taking place in St. Paul, the Twin Cities, um, and then also in Morris. Okay. That's a good. That's a good place to be. <laughs> yeah, it's it's more. It's it's quiet. There's lots of time and space to think. Yeah, exactly. And write. It's like a, I treated it more like a residency than than anything. But, awesome. <clears throat> yeah. All right, we've talked about uh, before our audio went to the dogs. We talked about. Did it just do it again? Are we still rolling? All right. We talked about sidewalk poetry. Uh huh. Where um, you, along with Tish Jones, uh, helped to curate a bunch of awesome poetry from yes. community artists. Yes. To be stamped in concrete yes. around St. Paul. Yes. Where it is immortalized forever. Forever. And talked about how you've got. Uh, this was the first year where there's non-English language right. poetry stampings, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Remind me of those languages again. So they're uh, Hmong, mm-hmm. um, Spanish, Somali, and Dakota. Awesome. And so we had to start with these languages because these were already languages that that the city was already translating for like official documents and things like that. So it was a good. It was where we were going to start, and then hopefully in the years to come we can expand that. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we 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 were talking about Falk, which yes. is the Funny Asian Women's Collective. Yes, and is super funny. Thank and you, you said that it started with three people. Yes, give me their names one more time, just so we have them on the record. <laughs> so it's myself, Meili Yang, and Naomi Ko. Right. Mm-hmm. And you guys have been uh, able to perform at the Ordway. Yes, and. That's certainly that's where I think I probably noticed it because the promotion around that was really good. Thank you. Um, and then we are talking about the thing that had sort of I don't know if this was a I don't know if it's fair to say that it spun out of that. Is it like I don't know how it's exactly related, but the idea of the the clapback cabaret. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, why don't you just explain that again? Give us the 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 halfway the shorter version. Okay. We'll, we'll respect your time and not make you say the whole okay. thing twice. But. Yep. So um, several years ago, we were asked if we could come and speak to some students at a college campus. And they specifically wanted us to come and do our clapback workshops. And so these are workshops where we help participants um, talk about the microaggressions that they have faced, how they've reacted to them, the kind of support that were and resources that were available to them on their campus. And oftentimes there aren't any, right? So they would rely on their professors or their their classmates for support. Um, But anyway, it was basically how to talk back at things that are aggravating you, that are racist and whatever. so then those those clapback workshops turned out to be uh, a series where we did it every month in St. Paul at Indigenous Roots Cultural Arts Center. Um, and so the it would be the afternoon would be the clapback workshops. And then in the evening, we would have the performances. And it was open to everyone who wanted to perform. Um, but we also brought in national acts. Like, for instance, we brought in Atsuko, who is uh, an amazing comedian um, based in L.A., um, she came and we have Kat Ivasco, 
from San Francisco. So it was also about connecting our communities to these amazing Asian Pacific Islander American women comedians who we would have not had. Yeah. You know, like they don't naturally just it, swing it just, through here. Yeah. yeah. You got to like make it work, right? Make it happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. We just want more spaces for women to be funny. Yeah. Who aren't necessarily trained because I'm not trained. Yeah. I don't do stand up around the city. Nobody ever taught me to rap either. So that's I'm, okay. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> um, something a little more recent to be real. Yeah. With uh, our spaces spoken for. Yes. Um, you you and Tori Hong, I believe, yes. had the piece that was uh, inspired by Winston uh, Wen. Yes. Who is like somebody that I think of as like a community fixture around here. That's mm-hmm. I like f- full disclosure. That's one of our one of our good friends. Dad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I see him on the light rail mm-hmm. like pretty frequently yep. riding like this hilariously undersized kids mountain bike. Yes. Mr. <laughs> Winston is awesome. <laughs> And I'm wondering if you got to if you got to really meet him and get to know him at all mm-hmm. during the project. Yep. Um, and what what did you take away from your meeting with him and, and working on this yeah. story? So Tori and I were super blessed that we were paired with Mr. Winston um, because our the community that was assigned to us was Frogtown, right? Yeah. So we got him, and he was so cool. We the first time he and I met and hung out, uh, I wanted to interview him and wanted to do it on camera. Um, with the film crew and all that stuff, but we couldn't really do that because he wanted to meet at McDonald's. <laughs> that's that's him. Yeah. And so we're like, oh, what are we gonna do? We can't film in McDonald's. Yeah. Probably couldn't get permission, so we decided we could maybe at our second or third interview do it then. Yeah. Um, you should have just done it right in front of his house. He's got that. <laughs> he's got a house that's like on University, yeah. basically across mm-hmm. the street from Victoria Theater Arts Center. Look, and Mr. Winston said McDonald's, yeah, right? So we're going to go to McDonald's. But, but it would have advertised one of his main things. He's also a notary public. I know. I know. That's like, I was joking earlier when MK was here, um, yeah. and we were talking about, just just talking about him a little bit, and like, uh, his, one of his sons, Aaron, yep. like that, I, I was introduced to him by Aaron. It's like, oh, this is my dad. He's a notary public, <laughs> which is like... <laughs> That's a weird uh, flex, right? Yeah, but yeah. it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that's cool. He does now official document stuff. Right. Yeah, 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 that's pretty cool. <laughs> let, so. me, let me tell you about the second time we interviewed him. We interviewed him at King Tai. His wife was also there. Yeah, right? yeah. We wanted to meet her because he spoke of her so fondly in our first interview. We're like, oh, I, I really want to meet her. And at our thing, he showed up because he said he, was, he would bring photographs. And he brought photographs. But he also brought, like, his neck around his neck was like five, four different like digital cameras. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm like, this is, he's just so, so cool, man. He, he's a, <sighs> yeah. he's a same, like he's a, 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 a Frogtown Rondo yeah. character. Everybody should meet. Yeah. I think yeah. like every, you will understand something more mm-hmm. about this neighborhood right. to have met him. I think just because right. he's become part of the fabric yeah. in a way. Yeah. So, um, and so to be real, this was, so you got to sort of dramatize the story yes. inspired by him. How, yes. how did, mm-hmm. what did you take from your interviews and actually put mm-hmm. the story? Yep. So um, the project was around how do we highlight our community stories, right? And for Mr. Winston, you know, there was a lot of, when we ever, we spoke to him, there was a lot of, in my mind, images of hands and also like of home of shoes um 
the wheels of a bus, right? Yeah. Cameras, digital cameras. Yeah. <laughs> Photographs and documents, um, soil and dirt, bullet wounds, like all of these things. And so I didn't necessarily want to uh, write a poem, but we decided we should make this mini zine. And so Tori created this mini zine. Um, they did all of the illustrations for it. And then um, I wrote a poem at the, in, at the back of the zine and we dedicated it to him. We also uh, worked with a choreographer to create like a movement-based storytelling with, with sound. And um, we wore these dresses that made us look like uh, chrysanthemums. I was like a bright yellow chrysanthemum. Tori was a bright orange chrysanthemum. <laughs> and, you know, Mr. Winston was a very giving person. He had a lot to do with um, helping former refugees resettle here and like starting anew, right? Um, house people in his home for a while before they could, you know, go off and be on their own. And so we wanted to, um, yeah, we wanted to acknowledge that. And so this idea of being altruistic and like being very giving was very important to us in, in, in telling his story. And so we decided along with the zine, we'll also give away um, a bunch of money. And so we actually went to the bank and got a bunch of $2 bills that we put into the red envelopes that you give away during yeah. Lunar New Year. Yeah. And we had baskets of this, two baskets full of red envelopes with the zine that honored his story and those of former refugees and new Americans and also the $2 bill for luck. And we were at the farmer's market right in front of Sunrise. Yeah. Is it Sunrise? Yeah. Or Sun Bank. What? It's not the, sun, foods. sun Foods. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sun something. Yeah. <laughs> um, we thought, you know, should we try to get permission to do this performance here? We're like, no, we're doing this guerrilla style because we're refugees. Whatever. Pretty sure they would have said yes anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we performed our dance along the corridor of this farmer's market in our chrysanthemum dresses, um, big poofy dresses with our baskets and handing out red envelopes to people. And people opened and they were just so surprised that they received this gift, right? Um, some people were more happy about the money than they were the zine. And some people saw the zine and you could tell they were just like very touched yeah. by the story because they recognized that story. It's their own, it's their parents, it's their aunties, right? Yeah. So um, that, that performance uh, at the farmer's market with Tori was very empowering for us um, to be able to occupy that space in a different way and to honor, to honor our foods and our histories and um, our ability to grow our foods in this land. Yeah. Right. That was stolen. That was, it's a lot of, lots of feelings. Yeah. Right? And, and to be dressed like chrysanthemums, <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the most colorful thing there, yeah. aside from some of the food, I suppose, that's yeah. for sale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we, we're not trained dancers. We don't dance. We don't do movement. So that was us um, taking ourselves out of our comfort zones and trying something. And, that, and we have deep respect for dancers and choreographers and movement people. Yeah. So... I hope we Super did cool. them just. I don't know. Maybe they were not. Maybe they cringed watching it, but whatever. Well, I think that uh, I think as long as the energy translates, yeah. that's the important part, right? Yeah. And I think that any dancer would agree that like the idea of dancing is really about showing the energy that you're trying to convey. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Way, way to get out of your comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for asking about that project. Yeah, well, I couldn't not. <laughs> Especially knowing who else, knowing who your story was about. Yeah, yeah. Um, you are a playwright, and you've worked yes. in theater in, I think, in a couple different capacities mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. I have some, I have some general questions uh-huh. for you. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, are you pretty involved throughout the whole production, or do you pretty much just write in the beginning and then say good luck to you with this? Because mm-hmm. I know that for me, as a rapper and somebody who like you know has spent a lot of time working on albums which I think would be somewhat the analog to putting together a play or a production, mm-hmm. is actually finishing that album and presenting it to the world. I know that every time I go and do a show, there's going to be a couple of songs that we have to play every show, like forever. Like they're never going to die, whether I like them or not, <laughs> right? Um, and so I, but a play is done. Maybe you have a tour with it. Maybe it has a run at one theater or a few theaters around town. And does it have a life after that? Or, like, there's no, like, mixtape where, like, this scene of a play gets shown oh. on the stage later. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, how how do you feel about that? Do you wish there was a way, a medium, a mixtape, so to speak, that you could put some of, some of that, um, some of your writing, some of that actual acting into mm-hmm. context later and mm-hmm. keep it going? Yeah. Okay, this might be a surprise to you, but... I'm not trained in, I'm not formally trained in anything that I've, yeah, I've done. That's fine. Like I said, me um, either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, you know, uh, so I, I feel like in a way that gives me a lot of freedom um, to like reconceptualize or like work outside of the construct, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, in theater world, I've, I'm primarily a playwright, but I've also been a dramaturg. I've also done um, cultural consultations. Like I worked uh, with Penumbra and Theater Moo for their production of Brothers Paranormal, which was a Thai ghost story. Oh, right? cool. Um, so I, w- I did consultation for that. Um, <laughs> very, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. But with theater, like for me, I, um, I would love to see my work uh, make money for me, <laughs> like to keep, um, what's it called? Um, to be in other cities, mm-hmm. but so far they haven't, not as widely as I would like. Sure. And and I, you know, when Kung Fu Zombies versus Cannibals first came out in 2013, there were interests from other theaters to bring it to their city, but I think it was just really overwhelming for them to have this giant cast because the, the cast itself, you know, the main characters, there was already like five or six people. And then you had to have this chorus of, zombies and cannibals that fought in the background all the time yeah and so it was kind of overwhelming um so so what it was hard to tour right it's hard to stage that so what's fun for you about writing in that space zombies and cannibals yeah is it just because it's like high drama like it's literally a life or death concept (laughs) like what's is it or Uh is it just uh because you're a huge fan of like the living dead i don't know like what what is it about zombies and cannibals that appeals to you and and being a part of that so many so many reasons (laughs) so many reasons um well one thing you know i'm buddhist theravada buddhist and for buddhists we cremate our dead right so in laos there are the majority of people are theravada buddhists we cremate our dead so there really aren't any Buddhist zombies, if you think about it. Like, there are a lot of Buddhist zombies. Would, we don't exist. Would not have thought about that. But yeah, we don't right. exist because yeah, we don't sure. cremate our people. Yeah. Um, but the other people <laughs> are zombies. <right? laughs> so we got to fight them. 
Um, <laughs> the other thing too is, um, you know, I when I think about zombies, I think about beings who are reanimated from the ground. And I wanted to relate that back to the history of Laos, you know, with the undocumented war, which was a proxy war of the Vietnam War. You know, so much of, of Laos's people were recruited to fight along with the Americans, right? So many groups of people, the Hmong, the Lao, the Khmu, the Mian. So many, many different, different ethnic groups. Um, and there's no recognition of that. Um, barely. And there are still veterans here in the United States from Laos fighting for recognition, right? Yeah. For benefits and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, we got a monument. Wow. Big deal. That well, in yeah. the long term, it's not. So, some of our, some of our, our Hmong and Lao elders in this community are like generals, like yeah. legit generals mm-hmm. that had they come home to America as American generals mm-hmm. would have been promoted to, I don't know, Admiral or something like yeah. that. And given like a hero's welcome, right? all kinds of medals would have been pinned on their mm-hmm. chests. Mm-hmm. You know, stories would be told on the history channel about them for decades. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, so, yeah, mm-hmm. it is sort of a travesty mm-hmm. that there's very little recognition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a thing that like I've talked about with, with Ibun with my wife mm-hmm. about, and uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy to me. Yeah. Especially because effectively they fought on the side of the war in many cases that, like Americans, we Americans, right, were in theory supporting. Right. So yeah, no recognition. Right. Yep. And this is certainly not the only case, right? That, which is like this. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that play was aiming to you know unearth all these things. Um, but especially about the bombing campaigns, not many people, not even Americans, not Laotians, we don't know what happened. Uh, not the full story, right? Because it was so undocumented. It was covered up. Um, I, f- I feel like what most people know is that on the way back from bombing runs in Vietnam, all the extra bombs would just get dumped off. Dumped. Carpet bombs. Yeah. Like, like taking out the trash over Laos. Yeah, right? but it, it wasn't quite always that simple. No. Yeah, there was some no. targeting happening. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, yep, especially along the Ho Chi Minh Trail, because Laos and Vietnam shared the border, right? Um, but yeah, like, you know, a lot of those bombs that were dropped didn't go off. And a lot of them got buried way, way under um, decades and decades. And children and farmers find them, play with them. You know, maybe their shovel hits it when they're farming and it blows them up. And so, like zombies, those bombs reanimate after so many decades of being buried, right? So wow. that was that was why I wanted to do the zombies too. Um, but also, I feel like the whole cannibals versus uh, zombie thing—it's like what is the worst of the two? You know, one has a conscious, and the other one is not. The other one is just just—it's primal. Yeah. Yeah gross yeah 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 <laughs> all right let's uh let's change gears i don't even know what, that didn't even answer the question that well, you're talking about. no i mean it's just what uh, well i mean the question really is like <laughs> what makes you want to write about that yeah and i think you i think you answered that okay. question right i uh, just like stuff i like yeah and i don't care if i'm i don't like plays i don't I'm not dissing other playwrights that do this um but I find it boring for me to write about a play of like two characters in a living room about, and it takes place over the afternoon. Yeah. Yep. I'm like, where's the fighting? <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going to get poisoned at least. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. 
Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Nothing. There's only one play that I loved that involved just two people talking forever. Okay. And it's called um, The Guards at the Taj, The Two Guards at the Taj. Oh, I've heard of this. I don't, yeah. I've definitely never seen it, but I've heard really of it. Really good. Okay. I, I hope it comes to Minnesota. I wonder if there's a, uh, I wonder if there's a place on the internet I can see a peek of that to get a sense. <laughs> I don't know if you could get like a bootleg. Well, a pl- I don't, I'm not saying that there's a bootleg, <laughs> but a lot of times you'll see like a theater company will yeah. put together like a very, short dramatized youtube video or something like that as a mm. way to promote it so i wonder mm-hmm, if, it, mm-hmm. if something like that is out there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i heard an interview that you did with al mcfarland some time ago i think it was you and may Yang. yes uh insight news yes and uh in that you guys covered a ton of ground but part of what you guys were talking about was education and you mm-hmm. said a thing that stuck with me and i kind of was just like huh why which is you said that in, uh, and I don't know if this is nationwide or if this is just here, but you said that uh, of the various East Asian and Southeast Asian communities represented in our education systems, yep. that Lao kids are least likely to get a, uh, to graduate with a diploma. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear your take on why. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll lead that into this next thing, which is the, and I don't know if you can give me all the details on this because I, I don't know if this is still in the works or if it's done. But I also saw that you were at the Minneapolis Institute of Arts and you had worked on like this K through 12 curriculum. Yes. Um, again, some familiar faces <laughs> in some of the, uh, in some of the work on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if one thing sort of informed the other. No, no, not <laughs> no, at no, all. No, not no, at all. No, not really. Um, yeah, so in California, there was a bill that was passed, and it was to include Vietnamese, Hmong, and Cambodian histories and culture into the um, California curriculum, K-12, through right? Okay. And the thing that was missing was Laotian. Yeah. And I'm saying Laotian not as in ethnic Lao, but all of the people of the Laos. The history of the right? land, so Which would speak. include ethnic Hmong as well, and there are some Vietnamese and Cambodian people in Laos. Sure. Like, Laos is big, man. Like, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Maybe there's some Irish people there, too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> some tourists that just never left and yeah, it's part some, of the fabric now. Some, some immigrant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it was it was disheartening and unfair that Laotian history, culture, mm-hmm. was not included as part of that, gotcha. that grouping, right? Because if you're going to do Southeast Asian... Hello. <laughs> so, so, so now you're at MIA and you're working to build a K through 12 curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, what is in your calculus for deciding sort of what should and shouldn't mm-hmm. be in there? Yeah. So the charge. So right now um, we're creating a curriculum that teachers can use uh, when when they're teaching about the Asia collection um, at at the Minneapolis Institute of Arts. Okay. And um, that work is more about like how do we get teachers to talk about how a lot of these items were acquired. Um, some were stolen, perhaps some were, you know, like these truths matter, right? Yeah. Um, but also what is important is that um, when we think about these uh, these artifacts, they're not dead things. They're very much living. They're created. They're, the tradition is still happening. Like people are still creating these things, these these items. Um, there are there's cultural production happening continually by living artists, right? And so we need to like respect it in that way too. Yeah. Um, 
you know, because the collection, there's stuff from China, stuff from Japan, Korea. Um, and people think these are like dead cultures. And it's it's not. Right. And so that othering is it's really bothersome and it's hurtful. Right. And then also thinking about like, how can we get um, schools and, and Mia to also uh, protect and support uh, by giving local artists, especially Asian, Asian Pacific Islander American artists, opportunities that are creative and also financial. Um, bring them into the schools, have them talk directly to the students. Um, how do we get teachers to not talk about these artworks in a way that's disempowering to the communities in which these things are originated from. Um, I had a joke with my friends earlier. I was like, so is there's nothing here from Laos, right? And they were like, no. And so I was like, is that a good thing that we didn't get plundered? Like, is that, <laughs> like, do I celebrate that or what? what's happening? What did they say to that? They, did, they, did, they, just, they just laughed. They just, they just like, yeah. we don't want to answer that for fear that we might incriminate ourselves. <laughs> But it's it's work that it's a beginning. It's ongoing. It's not something that is well. And don't be solved, don't give a, you know? anything away that you're not supposed to yet. That's fine. Oh yeah. yeah if it's if it's some <laughs> if it's some secret what they're work what you're working on over there, that's okay. Yeah. No. Um. I I noticed for sure among the many things that I've seen you do, a common thread seems to be education and advocacy, and especially around cultural advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um. That's, which is super awesome. And it's not for like every artist out there. I feel mm-hmm. like m- many artists, musicians especially, but not just musicians, yeah. are truly just in it to entertain. Yeah. And, and that's totally fine. Yeah. Do well, that. So yeah, yeah. So I was going to ask for your take on that. But what yeah. is it about you that, that makes you that makes you wired that way? Mm-hmm. You know, because I feel like you could just be a comedian and just say funny stuff mm-hmm. and never, ever get into culture, <laughs> you know, once. Um, so it's like, it just doesn't occur to some people. Why, yeah. why, what is it about you that's wired yeah. so differently? Yeah. I'm not creative enough. So I need my community for material. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm creative. I don't need their shit. Um, I got my own stuff, <laughs> but, um, no, I just, it's, it's just this confluence. There's no separation cause I'm part of the community. The community is part of me. Like it's, it's really hard to separate, um, and I feel I, I, for me as a Lao American artist, I don't have the luxury to not claim that identity. Sure. There's not many of us out there. Sure. Whenever I give people the charge of give me the names of five Lao anything, it's really hard for them to, it's a challenge, right? And it's yeah. not their fault. It's because, you know, either we're not given the opportunity or we're just not being amplified or. Yeah. Or the, or the, the label's not there. So people don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you can tell because our last names are hella long, <laughs> like a really long, really long last name. Yeah. Um, well, put, put me up on game. Give me five, <laughs> give me five names. Okay. My mom, my aunt. No, just um, so there are some incredible Lao American uh, writers and just, I think cultural producers in general that I really look up to. One for sure is Katsi Villapon, who's based out in Philadelphia. She's a spoken word artist. Okay. But she's also the curator. She's a curator, too. And she's a co-founder of um, Laos in the House, which is a celebration of all things Laos from Laos. Um, Another artist I really love. Well, I guess she is. She's more of of an advocate, but she 
well, I, I feel like it's an art form too. I don't know how to explain her work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's but her, her name's Chanapa and she was the ED of um, Legacies of War. And she works a lot around um, how do we get, how do we educate people about what, what, ha- what happened. Um, and their organization did a really good job of just getting the United States government to dedicate money towards the cleanup of this stuff, right? And then she brings in artists to help tell these the the people's stories, because art, the visual art especially, is very accessible for people, you know, across language and all that stuff, right? Um, who else do I like? <laughs> there are a lot of artists. It's just, do I like them? Well, that's all right. It's, if you okay. don't have it, it's fine. <laughs> I do. I do. I, I have tons. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop this for one second mm-hmm. just so that we don't have a repeat of the previous problem. Sounds like you guys are talking about what's going on. Yeah, we had a technical mishap earlier that we, I'm, uh, yeah, we're back rolling again though right now. Okay. Yeah, I guess it turned off a couple times. Let me get water. Get some water. Um, And if you cut through, that's fine. Okay. Um, (laughs) Writing workshops. Let's Uh talk about writing workshops because you've put on, you put on your fair share of those. Yeah. Um, You've done a number of them, I think, or at least... I think I've seen at least two at Rondo Library. Yes. Over here. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I, well, let me just start with this. What do your writing workshops look like? Are you asking people who want to write, uh, like, poetry? Is it people who want to write prose? Like, are you asking for people who are, like, looking to write books? Or is it anything? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, usually when somebody would approach me, an organization, like, or another artist or some some, some institution would say, you know, Samukta, we would be interested if you could do a writing workshop. And then I say, okay, what is, um, what's, is there a theme or is there something that this should be around? You know, should we be highlighting something? And sometimes they'll give me s- specifics and sometimes they'll say, what do you want to do? Okay. And I'll say, oh, well, I want to do this. So something for me I enjoy doing is to give people actual time to just write. Um, and I like to do workshops that are just writing prompts, like guided facilitation on just generating material. Because sometimes we don't get to have that as people who are creative because of work or because of busy lives, right? Right. Um, so to give people that time is good. Uh, when I teach young people, I've done different types. Um, one is superhero. Uh, superhero, um, what's it called? You know you know that speech that superheroes made before they slay the villain? Yeah. Yeah, like that <laughs> monologue, right? Yeah. And so I get young people to write those. That's always very fun. Um, or like writing spells to cast, right? Um, I always make students stand on top of desk and like recite their spells and cast it into the world. No one has fallen, thank goodness. Um, but it's a <laughs> lot of fun. They feel so empowered to be able to, within 45 minutes, learn about what a spell is, the history behind that, like the the, the foundations of po- poetry, and then to write their own thing, and then to stand on a on a desk, and then shout it shout really it loudly, shops, yeah. which they're not allowed to do normally. Um, it's a lot of fun for people. Cool, you get to get kids yelling in the library. Yep, I love don't it. care. Love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and do you ever do you ever reconnect with any of those kids? Or I suppose there's probably adults in there too. But do you get, do you get to reconnect with these people? And have any of them ever become collaborators? Any of them done anything that's like blown you away afterwards? No, just kidding. Oh um, man, harsh. All the time. No, I get blown away all the time. Um, let's see, like young kids, no, but like more like older teens, um, 
and like young adults, yes. Uh, some of those people have gone on and be, and I've become their mentors. Um, and they've gone on to do really amazing things, like surpassing me. And that's exactly what you want, right? You want yeah. to do that. Um, yeah. But a lot of times, I don't, I don't get to reconnect with people that I've taught workshops with. Um, one is either not allowed or it's like one of those one-off things. Sure. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, that's don't, why I don't try to Facebook friend my kid mooks <laughs> you know like that's weird <laughs> but they facebook friend they request me and i i do accept just because yeah i have fans like what can i say yeah you're famous over I'm here famous over here mooks are super famous <laughs> only over here <laughs> hey you know what that's okay it's yeah it's cool. i love it it's great it is it's uh it's a good feeling um, I saw another thing that I think you were involved in, although I'm not sure in what capacity, the mm-hmm. Rondo Library um, that was, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it was a workshop or a seminar or exactly what, but it looked like it was about um, uh, handling, uh, I wrote it down, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. Panel discussion, financial trauma for communities of color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious to know sort of what your role was in mm-hmm. this panel and mm-hmm what your takeaways were. And I would love mm-hmm. to know if there is a takeaway that you think could apply in Frogtown Rondo right now, especially because mm-hmm. right now we're seeing those forces of gentrification moving in along University Avenue. Um, not just along University Avenue, but a lot, a lot of it is happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you took away from that panel that you thought might be sort of helpful advice, either for individuals who live here now or for the community at large in general? Yeah. So um, that panel was part of a, uh, that talk was part of a series called uh, More Than a Single Story, and it's curated and organized by Carolyn Halbrook, who's an uh, incredible, we call her Slam Granny, <laughs> because she's like the OG of literary community here, right? So many of us owe her. That's a pretty awesome title. Slam Granny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's, she's amazing. Um, but she's done so much in terms of, like, planting seeds and like tilling the soil and all this other stuff so that the rest of us can like flourish and grow. Right. So she's been our water, you know, she's been our water. Um, so yeah, that, that was talking about financial, um, trauma and then in our communities and how do we learn from that? Like, what is, what are some key takeaways? And I, and I talked about what it was like living, uh, growing up with parents having to work multiple jobs and growing up on food stamps, right? And like having this jewelry, like to me, this is like my savings account, these yeah. bangles that I have, you yeah. know? If I ever run out of money, I'll, I'll go sell these. I don't hesitate um, because I feel like if I do have money again and I would want this, I could get it back because these are just things. Right. They're just things. They don't matter. Um, I mean, they do matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. Um, so we talk about that. How does it affect us in our relationships with people? Um, you know, one, one thing that people talked about was, um, a lot of the, the stuff that they learned to do as kids to, to be able to like survive and like to be able to make it to the next day, they find themselves still doing that and it could be very harmful or it could, but some people found ways to make it work for them. Like, can, can actually I'm saving example? money. You know what I mean? Um, somebody, uh, one of the panelists, and I think this is actually really smart. Uh, she carries food with her at all times in her back, in her bag, foods and some other supplies. Right. 
just in case she needs to go somewhere, right? She has to dip in case the zombie apocalypse happens, right? <laughs> she has to go, you know, it's her, what do, what do they call it? Her, um, the, the shit hits the fan bag, bag. the bug out bag. Yeah, yeah. Bug out bag. There we go, there we go. Um, I'm not up on my no, prepper it, language. I had was, to think about that for a second. <laughs> it was it was deeper than that. But it was yeah. like, it was, it was something that she brought from childhood that she still does to this day. Um, but actually, it's, it's not a bad thing because what if you want a snack? Yeah. There it is. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that could, that could lend a straight up household yeah. preparedness. Right. right. Like, yeah. So, yeah. And not okay. just yourself, but what if you come upon somebody who is a, hung, a little bit hungry? Maybe they do want some goldfish crackers. You know, it's always good to share, right? When you're given that opportunity to do that. Um, if you have goldfish crackers in your bag and you ever come around me and my children. It's over. They want it. It's done. Just know that they want the goldfish crackers. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, uh, we also talked about what are, what are, how are financial institutions helping us or like harming us, right? Like yeah. what are, we talk about all the different scams that happen in our community. You know, I talk about this giving circle that a lot of Laotians have. And it's just basically every month you, there's a squad of people, maybe there's eight people participating in your circle. And each month everybody puts, Eight hundred dollars into a pot, yeah, and that and that's a a grant or, yeah. to, or a fellowship to yeah. someone, yeah. in in that circle. Yeah, and there's there's like a thousand different names for this. Yeah. Like I, I don't know if you know this, but yeah. like in my nine to five day job, I'm a financial crimes investigator. I do anti money laundering work. Oh, nice. And so like I see these things all the time, and I have to figure out like is this money laundering or is this exactly as you just described? Circle. Is this a giving circle mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. one of the other names that you can come up with yeah. for it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I see, I see yeah. this all the time. It's one of those things that I think really helps to build community because mm-hmm. literally you end up all depending on each other. And if you, if you're one of these people in the circle mm-hmm. and you're struggling to scratch together, your hundred dollars, $800, thousand yeah. dollars a month, mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, you know that in the end it comes back to you yeah. because mm-hmm. however many people are in your circle, everybody gets a turn at right. taking from the pot when you're, right. you know, so yeah, yeah, I really, I have, I've always thought that's a pretty powerful tool yeah. and then one that maybe more people should know about. Yeah. It's a way to, it's a way to do banking without a bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, you know, that just, just honoring and recognizing the different ways that our community is helping each other, like financially, right? Like sometimes we don't, we don't trust banks and we've learned that sometimes they're not, right not trust, to trust, trustful. Yeah. Um, so how can we, you know, yeah, how can we, like, get these models to work in our communities in, like, a larger way? Or, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I'm not a financial person, so I don't. I think some of it's just awareness. Yeah. You know, I think uh, you, you look around at a community, and I'm sure that if you grew up in a very different community, you'd have somebody give you the talk about how compounding interest works mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how to use it in your favor for life mm-hmm. and you know, that never happened anywhere near my house, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that just teaching people some of these principles and they don't have to be about compounding interest, the lending circle yeah. that right there is a powerful tool yeah. that is really people power. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, pivoting off of finances before people's <laughs> eyes completely glaze over here. Um, you published a book I have right here. Yeah. When everything was everything. Yes. I love it. And before you leave, I want you to sign this for my kids. Okay. Because Vincent right now especially is really in love with it. Oh, good. Um, Ibu brought it home and was yeah. like, check this out. 
and our kids are both readers. Or Good. Like, well, they're not readers. They're too young to actually read, but they both really like having books read to them. Yeah. Um, and Vincent instantly picked out Tiger Jack. Yes. Because that shack exists still two blocks from where we're taping this yep. right now. Yep. And um, so I wanted to ask you sort of what made you write this book? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you want to hold it. I see you kind yeah, of looking can, for I, it. Yeah. Yeah. Like what I made you write my book? Yeah. What made you write this book knowing that there's, you know, any number of other books mm-hmm. you could have written. And also just knowing that this is like aimed towards, this is not exactly an adult book, right? This is aimed towards well, younger and, and maybe uh, more visual readers. Yeah. Um, so this is a format which requires you to collaborate with an artist. Yes. Right. Well, collaboration is just a natural part of me. I think everything I do is collaborative. Yeah. I just can't get away from it. Um, Cause it's, it helps. It only, it lets me do 30% of the work and the rest <laughs> goes to someone else to do. Right. Like that's, that's how, that's how I roll. That's real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's called collaboration. Yeah. Um, no, but actually this, this, this book or poem lived as, it lived as a poem since 2011 or something like that. Okay. And was turned into a picture book in 2017? Yeah. And in, in, in 2018, I think. 2018. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I, I feel like it's, because it's in, a, it's in picture book format, it feels ex- really accessible, like it's for younger kids. Yeah. But I think what I really want for it, um, what I want it to do is I want parents to sit with their kids and like talk about the different things because it's not a traditional like linear story. It's, um, it's a poem. Yeah. It's organizing stanzas. Yeah. Um, this, this, yeah. I will tell you that's exactly what it prompted us to do in our household. Yeah. So mission accomplished. Good, uh, <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, I think that, and maybe this wouldn't apply for literally everybody out there in the world, but for somebody that's from this community, I think that it's really cool that our, that our kids can recognize some things in this book. Good. So, yeah. Yeah. It's really important for me to tell this, this story. Um, it was so important for me that the, some of the first sentence is food stamps in my pockets. Um, because so many of us growing up were told not to talk. Don't talk about that. Uh, that's embarrassing. Don't tell people that that's what we had to do yeah and it's like not a it's a not a secret everybody who came to the united we, states we still see you at the grocery store <laughs> we, like it's, we, it's I, okay I, yeah we went you know yeah. we were the same way i deserve food stamps give it to me you know <laughs> what i mean um especially after what you did to my country with all the bombing <laughs> like give me my food stamps no but um it's really important to be able to just talk about these things and to have the book have multiple languages lao and Hmong, right just mm-hmm. because this is part of my world and to not have those languages be um italicized or with an asterisk at the end because that would other them right and it's not a separate part of me it's all part of me yeah mm-hmm. one thing that i regret having not done yet is i need to get my mother-in-law to read this to yeah. our kids yeah because She'll read the she'll read the Lao version of the yeah. exact same story, and it'll be new to them again. Yeah, you know that would be so great. Like, you know, she'll read it and just say, "Okay, now what do you think of that?" And I'm pretty sure Vincent will pick up a few words, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Cyrus is still just mm-hmm. screaming Elmo every time the TV is turned <laughs> on, so he won't recognize anything. But I think that you'll he'll get something through osmosis to have the same thing in two languages. So, Good, yeah. I would love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Let's see, what else do we have here to cover? I've got a lot of stuff. Oh, Springboard for the Arts. Yes. Let's talk about your involvement with Springboard uh-huh. for the Arts. Yep. Um, I think that, uh, <laughs> I think that, how long have you been working with them, for the record? Um, officially, uh, um, as an artist, career consultant, just one year. Okay. But I've been with Springboard in different capacities. Uh, I've been involved with them over the years, like since 2009. First, as someone attending their workshops right. as an artist, because they were so useful to me. And I held on to this workbook that I had from one of their workshops. It was like the how to be a professional artist or okay. something like that. Yeah. Um, and it was so useful to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like um, what I see you doing with them and what I think is really cool is I know that you're helping artists sort of understand when grants are available, yeah. how to apply for them. And it seems like you're sort of career coaching them through some of that process. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I would love... I, I love that because a I feel like for a lot of artists, myself included, up to a certain point, really felt like that whole world of getting grants for yeah. what you do as an artist is just like this. Yeah, that's that that's for a certain type of artist. That's not me. It always feels right, like no matter right. what you do, that's for somebody else. Right. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think that. And it kind of can feel like a black hole. It feels like you mm-hmm. send something in and then you never hear back because mm-hmm. and you just don't get any feedback for it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think it's super cool that you're able to actually like work with people. And I know that you've gotten a lot of these grants for yourself. So you're coming from a place of experience where you can tell people sort of like, no, this this organization is looking for this mm-hmm. in a grant application. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how how is it that you, or I guess, how do you feel as you're offering that help? And mm-hmm. is this something that you naturally fell into? Or is it like, mm-hmm. you're treating this as a job and now I have to switch this on in myself, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. No, this is, this is, I, I guess this is like a passion because I get, I have a lot of fun talking to artists about their projects, their vision for what they want to do with their next year or whatever, you know, like. Yeah. Um, and to help them to ask them questions because I know they have the answers in there. And it just takes me asking questions for them to, yes, 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 and then this, right? So to to be able to be in that space and to share that moment with them is really cool for me. Um, but it, you know, for a long time, like unofficially, I was already helping artists with their grants, writing them or like giving feedback or whatever, or, or um, being a liaison for them, like calling the program officer on their behalf because... Some people are afraid that there's going to be, they're going to suffer consequences or like retaliation. And that's just not true. That doesn't happen. Right. Program officers of grant programs are there to help. They're not going <laughs> to, there's yeah. no punishment for any question that you can ask. Right. Um, so I find that work fulfilling too. You know, it's not just about teaching people or sharing what I know so far about grant world. Um, with artists, but also to be able to talk to and build have relationships with grant officers. That's another important thing. Right. Not just grant officers, but also um, the the head honchos that yeah. run that org. Right. Yeah. It's important for them to know what the community actually needs and wants, um, what's working, what's not working. Well, it's been my my limited experience that a lot of these a lot of these boards that run some of these foundations. Mm-hmm they have a mission in mind mm-hmm. and it's, it's about how you can convince them that what you're doing aligns with that mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's like helpful to have that inside knowledge yeah. on like, okay, what, what, what language even do I use when I try to convince these people right. that this does align with the mission? So, yeah. 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 
part of that work is, um, yeah, teaching people industry language, but also saying, you know what, you can flip the switch and define this word in a way that empowers your work that you're doing. So not necessarily using their definition, but saying, you know what, actually, this is my definition of what you're thinking you're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, all these people are just people. They're everyday people like you and me. And it's not scary to mm-hmm. like just talk to them. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they think... they want to hear these things. They want to know that what the work that they're doing is impacting people positively. Otherwise, why should they keep doing it? Yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, I think that for, for many artists that can feel like you're you're trying to get in from the outside and what feels mm-hmm. like an insider game otherwise. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it's cool that you're able to do some of that work of helping to I'm break down I'm happy to barriers. be the liaison. Yeah, yeah, happy to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, uh, I I always say this too, it's like, when you win, I win. So your success is my success. Awesome. I just want to take credit for people's stuff too. That's all. Yeah. That's all it is. <laughs> Let me take credit for your your next album. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna pause this recording for one more okay. second just again to give the computer a break so we don't have a surprise yeah. cut off. I was trying to figure out what that loud sound <laughs> And one. And it's junk mail. It's not even like real mail. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing? Do you need anything? Can I have more tea? Yeah. It's really good tea. We're going to keep talking while you make that tea. Is that all right? Yeah. We're almost to the end of my questions. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. This is taking... what happens when you do too much. It's too yeah. many questions. You got, well, you got a lot going on, and that's great. I do have a lot going on. Um, the last time I actually saw you in person, I think, was a while ago. Um, for more than like two seconds anyway. Yeah. It was right before you went to Laos. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you doing there exactly, and was it fun? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Fun, fun times. Um, yeah, I had this, you know, that was the first time I've ever gone to Laos. And I'm not even saying gone back. I'm just mm-hmm. saying gone to yeah. Laos. So I created this um, identity or like this label, whatever, to help me better understand my situation. And the identifier is motherland orphan. Okay. And I created it to just help me navigate all the things happening. Right. Yeah. Um, to me, it's someone who wasn't born in their motherland, the in Laos, in wherever. When I say motherland, it's the land of your, your parents, whatever. Sure. Right. Um, I was born in a Thai refugee camp and Laos is my parents' motherland never step foot on it in Laos, but I'm connected to it. I'm tethered to it because of the stories and the food and the traditions and all of the beliefs and all that stuff that's, um, sure. you know, yeah. been taught to me yeah. and like shared with me growing up. Well, you want to understand where, if your parents instill all of this in you, you want to understand where it comes from. So yeah, yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. yeah. So motherland orphan, right? Yeah. Um, but I went, I needed to go to Laos because I wanted to interview my family members and then also to be there. It's yeah. hard to write about a place you've never been to. Sure. Um, and all of my work is about Laos, like so much of it, right, in some shape or way, form. But primarily going there because I wanted to gather information and material to work on my musical, which is called In the Camps, a Refugee Musical. Okay. It's a comedy. Um, 
plug it right now if you know where that's when when and where we're going to be able to see that we we don't know okay that's fine that's fine <laughs> uh, we don't we don't know we're still fundraising for it okay we just need to raise twelve thousand dollar more um and then we could pay people equitably because otherwise i don't want to do it otherwise i'm not, I'm not paying people two hundred dollars no yeah, you no. Pay, pay people what they're worth. I'm paying people what they're worth. In right? general, everybody costumes, should pay. We don't need costumes. Worth. That's all going to artists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have in your closet? Right. Let's just wear that. <laughs> just wear that. <laughs> um, but anyway, it was, yeah, it was to gather materials to to meet family members for the first time. Um, my dad was supposed to come with me, but because my mom, you know, her health drastically declined during that time, uh, he couldn't come. So I went alone and had to introduce myself to family that I've only known through Facebook video. <laughs> sure. How, and how did that go? Fine. Open, open arms was, everywhere you went, It was hopefully. great. Yeah. Awesome. Open arms. Um, you know, and these are voices that I heard also on cassette tapes growing up. Oh, right? Because wow. yeah. messages were sent back yeah. and forth across the ocean. Um, so many emotions. The intention was to just write, to be able to write at the end of the day, you know, go to the night market and then come home, right, you know, to my hotel, whatever. How'd that work out for you? I didn't write nothing. <laughs> I wrote maybe like half, I don't, I, I didn't write barely anything. It was so hard. It was so hard to write. Every time I sat down to write, I would just start crying because uh. it was just so much to take in, right? And I was only there for two and a half weeks. It wasn't, it wasn't a lot of time. So where, where did you move around to? Like, um, where were you at? Yep, I stayed in Vientiane most of the time and went to uh, Thailand right across the river to Nong Kai and saw where the camps kind of were or like, you know, where they're not there anymore. Yeah, but but the but ground and all that stuff, there's still some energy there. Um, and then I think I saw maybe right after you came back that you also went to Luang Prabang? I did. Went yeah. to Luang Prabang, the old world, rural city. And Ibun got very excited about some food pictures he posted. Uh huh. When does she want to go? Let's go back. <laughs> Basically, lots of massages <laughs> were were happening there. Um, had good conversations with people around there, just about just about everything. Um, and then decided that my last four days I was gonna go to um, Wat Angkor because as a Buddhist, that's like a site for me that I needed to see and and be in. So that was a real treat um, and learned about the history there. Learned that, you know, during the Khmer Rouge, so many Khmer people were living in, in the what? Um, thousands of people huh. living there. I did not know and that. And like to, to get away from, you know, the violence and all that stuff. So in some ways they were like not touched because they were, I don't know, maybe there was a superstition with the soldiers or with whatever I don't know. I forgot the story, but he said something about like people felt safe there and they would just live there. Huh. So that was really, I never heard that before. And I thought that was so interesting. That's cool. That's one of those places that I really want to go to at some point in this, yeah. in this life. Yeah. Uh, you can live vicariously if you want to go to Google, like go to Google maps. Cause I know that like, you know how there's street view. Yes. They actually walked cameras, not just wow. in and through, but on top of like they wow. climbed the buildings. Wow. So you can get like every angle of it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, bringing it back home. Bring it, bring it back. All right, we kind of talked about where where your St. Paul footprints are, sort of Midway, Frogtown, Rondo, East Side. Um, let's talk specifically about Frogtown Rondo for a second. Uh huh. 
Because I seem to see you at restaurants when I do just bump into you. I eat a lot. <laughs> me too. As you can probably tell by as looking at me. As you can probably me. see. <laughs> no shame in that. You no, gotta, you not gotta, at all. Those are all experiences. I love my mom bod. Yeah. Okay. So I was going to ask you. Keeping it. What is the single best bite of food you've had on University Avenue in St. Paul? How dare you? <laughs> You're going to get me into fights. No, it could be it could be anything. That we had Damien Strange oh, in here and I asked him the same question. Why would question, you do that? And he struggled. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm just kidding. I got <laughs> Oh what? Just one? Just oh. If if it's a tie, a oh, two-way man. tie, a three-way tie, a 10-way tie, you can give me answers. That's fine. Shoot. I, I want oh, I want this to be hard. challenging for you, but I also yeah. want it to be informative to people who are listening mm-hmm. to get their butts into our mm-hmm. neighborhood and enjoy it mm-hmm. for what it is. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, ah oh, man, ah. Oh. No one's gonna be mad at Why? you. Why? Why'd you do that? You want to think about it? I'll ask you a couple other questions if yeah. we come back to it. Yeah, I think you should ask Chris what his Yeah, what up, what's you? What's you? What's you, what's for you? <laughs> um, mine has changed over the years. But I would say that having like I had mine's actually Damien said just so you know that the oxtail pho at Nong, which is not always on their menu, but that okay. was his favorite one. And mine's also yeah. a pho one. Yeah. So, I love I love just their regular sort of like every restaurant has a special, which is basically yeah. just all of the beef, <laughs> the regular all the special one at Trey Chow. Okay. The pho is, okay. is for me. It's like absolute yeah. comfort food. Okay. I love it. Okay. And there are other things which I love along university, but yes. that's like, if I have to say right now, that's still, that's still my jam. Oh man. I'm going to ask you some other questions. Uh-huh. We can come back to it. We'll come back mm-hmm. to it. What if, what if the question was favorite food memory? No, 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 no. I'm asking for I'm asking for the dish. You really tried. Yep. Yeah. You tried. <laughs> <laughs> give me uh, give me three things that you love about Frogtown and Rondo. Mm-hmm. Three things? Yeah, three things that you love about Frogtown and Rondo. All the artists that live here. What? How lucky are we? Yeah. Right? Um, that's one. Two... I love the the folklore around here, right? Like Tiger Jack was such an amazing person. Yeah. Um, I tell people the story where he caught, well, he didn't catch me. He knew I was stealing. I stole, <laughs> I stole like some noun laters from him, like 50 cents worth, which yeah. is like a lot because they were like five cents each. Yeah. So I had like 10 noun laters, right? And my mom found out, walked me back there to his shop and she's like, you tell him what you did. That's a mom thing to do right there. Yeah. yeah. And then I said, I, I stole this from you. He's like, I know. Kids steal from me all the time. <laughs> He's like, just don't do it again. I was like, okay, well, not. And I never did ever again. Yeah. Um, so all of like the folklore around here, like the, the wonderful people that are here. And, and I, I love it that we have stories about them. Like each of us have, have stories about them and we tell people about them. Um, the other thing I love is, Let's see. You know, I talk about there are lots of artists that live in our community, but I feel like there's not enough spaces for us to, like, do our thing or, like, to 
no diss against like Minneapolis, but I I live in St. Paul. I don't want to drive all the way to Minneapolis to do my art stuff or like to have my show there or like to rent a space and do like a play reading or whatever, right? Like I feel like our community needs more of that here. We need spaces where we can be creative, spaces that will allow us and just to come in and like do experimental things. Um, so that'll go that's, into that's, my, that'll go into that's my what next. I, that's what I feel like we need. Like we, you know. That'll go into my next question. So I was going to also ask, not things that you hate about St. Paul, but what are some things you don't love about St. Paul? Oh. there's I think there's a difference. Yeah, there is a difference. Yeah, so I'm hearing that you don't love that we that we lack some of that creative space. Yeah, I, we need more. And yeah. even if there's like 50, we still need more. Yep. Right? Because we need choices and we need, we just need more. Um, so that's one thing I don't love very much. I don't love it that, let's see, it's hard to not, to not love things about St. Paul because that's, I mean, that's a fair answer. I grew up in St. Paul. I love St. Paul. I claim St. Paul. I'm, I've been seen here, so I'm going to claim it. Um, what don't I love very much? I do wish we have, um, safer housing for people clean, safe housing, affordable housing. I think we need more of that. Yeah. I think we need to work, do better with that. Um, where I live, you know, down the hill from me, uh, like, it's like, cause it's like my backyard and the hill and then railroad tracks. And then like, um, I forget, I think it's the union gospel. It's like a, the mission. Yeah. Yeah. And so we need more spaces like that for our community. And then a way for people to transition into like safer homes and just like have a space that's theirs, right? Um, we need that. Um, what else do we need? What don't I don't like? What don't I don't like? If you don't have a good answer for this, that's all right. That's that's an endorsement. <laughs> Melvin Carter, you're, you're doing a decent job if she She's doesn't have an answer job. for things she doesn't like. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Trash is fine. No complaints about trash. It's cool. I said that to David. I said, I said, if you t- if you say trash is one of those items that you don't love in St. Okay. Paul, he's gonna come kick in the door. It's fine. It's just trash. Like, what's the big deal? It's trash. Like, whatever. It's yeah. there. Uh, it's taken away. Who cares? I don't know. All right. Well, we're gonna come back to the one you were struggling with. Yeah. Why? Oh, I thought you forgot. No, I didn't forget. What's What's that bite of food that you love in, in along University mm. Frogtown Rondo? I'm going to say it's not in Frogtown or Rondo just because it gets me away from getting in trouble here. Okay. It's in Midway. Okay. And I always go to Peking Garden and eat their lobster. Okay. <laughs> with the, um, the, the green onions and the ginger sauce. The clams are always on the table when we go there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes I just do the dinner for four. I don't care. This is, I can take this home. It doesn't yep. matter. Um, but that's what that's what I always eat. That's what I treat myself to. Whenever I win a grant, I go and I order me one of those. Or whenever one of our squad members wins a grant, we go celebrate by okay. ordering a lobster for everyone. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. That's like a good celebration food. It that's is. really good. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. We're coming to the end here. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll just say, uh, without getting into politics, politics. Um, I know that you have been out there for a couple of our local politicians. Yes. I saw, for example, I know that you worked with Cowley Hurt. Yes. Who's been a huge supporter of ours. Yes. So shout out to Cowley Hurt. Thank you shout very out. much. Uh-huh. Um, 
Uh, do you have like a litmus test for people who you see out there that are trying to, to represent our community? Yeah. Yes, and I do. What is, what is that litmus test, if you don't um, mind sharing? I don't mind. It's really important for me that they're from that community, that they have lived there. Um, I don't like people parachuting in and all of a sudden having ideas about what the community could be, right? It's like, no, where'd you come from? Go away. <laughs> Maybe they do have good ideas to so give them a chance. Anyway, um, But it's very important for me that they... They have roots there, right? Um, it's important for me that they care about clean things, energy, water, land, all that stuff, that they, they, they take care of our environment. I think that's really important. I also think if they are able to like talk about how they could help people in the community, businesses and stuff like that, people who live there, um, to spend money there and to, to grow their money there, like especially businesses, right? I don't want to see these like large chains or whatever coming in it, it kind of hurts my heart because i feel like it takes away from like a mom and pop store or like a family business right um i mean like walgreens that's fine because we all like walgreens we all well, we all need a pharmacy we all need yeah. a pharmacy yeah. um i think it's important that they also care about like the well-being of like the, the younger people um i think education is really important for me especially because I have a two-year-old and now I have to start thinking about that stuff. I didn't have to before. So yeah. when people talk about education, I was like, what's a voucher? I don't know. Yeah. Like, why do kids need iPads? Like, what? But now it's like, yes, my son needs an iPad. Uh, we're not giving our kid an iPad anytime <laughs> soon. Vincent would love an iPad, but yeah. nope, no, 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 no. I'll no. sneak it in for him. Okay. Yeah. Well, no. Okay. You can play with it at your house. Okay, yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> You uh, you grew up uh, moving around the Twin Cities, mm -hmm. but like Frogtown and Rondo does seem to be your home mm -hmm. as far as like your St. Paul base. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm guessing that you've gotten a lot of life lessons from the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, what do you believe Frogtown could teach the rest of Minnesota? What do you believe Rondo could teach the rest of Minnesota? Yeah. Have a cool name for your town, your neighborhood, like Frogtown, first of all. <laughs> like that's a cool name. It's kind of grimy, right? Like yep. frog town. <laughs> <laughs> um, what can we teach them? What can we teach other people? Hmm. You know, I really love the way that our community rallied together to save the businesses that were along, like, the way of the light rail. Yeah. Um, and protecting those businesses and figuring out ways to help those businesses after the construction of the light rail how do we bring you know revitalize th their their businesses right like i love that our community was able to do that and artists were involved in that work too yeah um, with the irrigate project um i think other communities could learn about that um i love it that we have uh i think a pretty healthy public art community um, I feel like there's art everywhere. It was so great when we had photographs uh, by Wing Young Huey all yeah. over our community. Yeah. And to see people from our neighborhoods on walls, gigantic, on window fronts, on posts, everywhere. It was very empowering. Like, I'd rather see them than some kind of, like, model from Maybelline. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I shouldn't diss models. My cousin's a model. <laughs> yeah, I think you didn't you just recently post something <laughs> yeah, yeah, with, yeah. with one of her she was on the runway somewhere. Yeah, she was. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. She's like eight two. She's really tall. <laughs> that's really tall. <laughs> She's really tall. Um what else? I mean, that's a lot already. I feel like, yeah. I feel like a lot of my stuff is just around artists. That's cool. I mean, you are an artist, I'm an artist, mm-hmm. so it's easy for us to care about that. Mm-hmm. And it's oh, easy to point out that yes. it is enriching to the community. So. It is, yes. We bring a lot of heart, and um, I think we just bring a lot, I think artists bring a lot of heart into a community. Yeah. Right? And we're able to be like these creative documentarians for our community. Like, our songs and our poems and our plays are going to continue to live on even after, you know. Yep. Yeah. Uh, anything we did not cover here that you want to cover? Any any uh, shout-outs you want to give? Any events you want to plug? Bearing in mind that this is going to be running in March. <laughs> That's right. Oh, shit. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, uh, I've been commissioned to write this play um, in celebration of the 40-year anniversary of the Refugee Act. And um, the Immigration History Resource Center, Research Center, has commissioned me to write this play that that would celebrate the stories of refugees inspired by their archives, right? And so, you know, beginning last week, I was able to read a lot of these their stories. And then going into this month and into the next, I'll be delving deeper into those archives and listening and, and looking at documents and things like that. And writing a bunch of vignettes um, inspired by their stories. Not like a composite or anything, but like, you know, really telling the heart of their stories. And so that's going to be part of, of, of a symposium on the U of M campus. I'm really proud of that work. And I'm, I feel really honored to be able to do that as someone who's a former refugee, to be able to continue to tell refugee mm-hmm. stories. Do you have a sense for when that'll actually be on display? And if not, that's all right. Um, April 17th is April the day 17th. of the symposium. Awesome. And it's free. Anyone can attend. There's going to be food. <laughs> it's free food. And then you, you'll get to see the play. You're basically getting paid to go in food. In food. <laughs> Sometimes a lot of the work I do is to get paid through food. So, yeah, yeah work for food. Yeah. That's what I do. That's how you live. It's, I, it's great. And food is love. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else you want to say? No. All right. We talked about a lot of stuff. We, we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. All right. Well, then I'll, I'll officially end this with with our with our outro here. Okay. Um, special thanks to our Thank very you. very special guest, Muk Se Mukta. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh-huh. So, so, yeah, you got your <laughs> name tag this. on. <laughs> <laughs> guest guest author is uh-huh. on her name tag right here. Star of this show. That's right. Yeah. No, it ain't me. It's you. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, if you like what you've heard on today's show, please make sure to drop us a line at alive at 825 at gmail.com and rate us in whatever app you're listening to us on. Um, just rate us with five stars because that's what we need. Um, this show is hosted, recorded, and produced for Victoria Theater Arts Center by me, Chris Wilborn, with support from Sarah Nichols and MK Wynn. Our artwork was created by Dantes Ha. Uh, original music and sound design is created by me also completely royalty free so if you like it hit me up uh thank you very much for listening uh we'll be back next week with a new guest and we'll see what happens what artwork do we have on the wall right now oh yeah we should probably talk about that yeah 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 who is this guy that takes these amazing pictures oh my gosh his name is Tyke. I know. Yeah, you know. Okay, go ahead. You want to? No, you wanna... I don't. No. Oh, okay. It's Tyke. We're not friends like that. I'm not going to shout him out. <laughs> <laughs>
Wait, Sarah, I feel like we actually had you come in and talk about it when when uh, last week, didn't we? Uh, last week it was my son. It was Ethan's, your son. Sign uh, Ethan Bang. But yeah. I feel like, but I feel like this is an opportunity for you to actually talk about it. So this is Typhi Fon Quinn. Yeah. Who's who is like? Mm-hmm. This is Stokely. You missed oh. him. He was here earlier. Um, but he is an amazing photographer. Typhi is originally from the Bay Area, but he moved here to St. Paul and resides in Frogtown with his wife. M.K. Wynn and his two sons, Stokely and Bolden. The picture on the far left is obviously from San Francisco, I assume. Yep, that's a very famous strip in San Francisco with the hill on the top. Lombard? And I, I'm, yep. And then so. the one in the middle it is Stokely looking up at a statue of Martin Luther King Jr. I don't know where that was taken. I assume it's a really famous statue that I just don't know. I think it's in D.C. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is in D.C. And then on the right is This was from, a super fun event. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was from The Gathering. Uh, Kathy Muchapal put together five different events during the summer of 2017 or 18. 17, I think. 17. Mm-hmm. And she invited community members, community artists to create art and host an event. And this one, it was at the Lovejoy Garden. Yep. But all five of the events she did were all in the Rondo community. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great picture that mm-hmm. Typhi took there. Yeah. yeah. So Typhi took some amazing pictures also in the last couple of years uh, after the death of Philando Castile. He was out there at some of the protests and memorials, mm-hmm. and he took a lot of really stunning pictures of people's emotion. And he, I think he really got some of the sort of visceral, raw feeling that people were feeling at that time captured especially well on film. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that he's pretty well known within our community as, mm-hmm. as a photographer that can actually capture the moment really well. Right. So it strikes me that these photos that we have up on the wall actually aren't necessarily capturing like a, mm-hmm. a, a moment where people are like heavily interacting, with the exception of the one on the right here. The choice yeah. of these yeah. photos were his. Yeah, no, I love um, them. So I, they're from his own collection on his living room walls. Yeah. <laughs> so they're photos that he, mm-hmm. that, he that are probably really important mm-hmm. and special to him yeah yeah but i yeah, love he's it he's just mm-hmm. one of the many wonderful artists we have mm-hmm. in frogtown yeah. rondo we're super blessed to have him in frogtown rondo yes. he's yeah. one of he's one of these people that i think will uh will help us tell our story through yes. through a medium yep. that mm-hmm. i'm no good at <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah yeah my photography skills not in question here they're terrible. We're not trained. They're terrible. We're, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> the other photograph on the wall is Win Young Huey's mm-hmm. photograph. And this was one that was from wow. an exhibit from the University Avenue Project. Wow. I'll tell you, Sarah was that's so cool. excited to get this. Wow. I can't believe it. Yeah. That, I thought that's what it was. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah. It is. It's his. And he, he had it up. I don't remember what building this one was displayed on. But if you remember the project, he yep. did those photographs yep. and then had them up for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then he had like a an auction and sold off a bunch of the ones yeah. and I grabbed some yeah yeah very cool so cool right. I want to wing young Huey I have two Takumbas and I'm already like <laughs> <laughs> I have three St. Paul Slims four St. Paul oh, Slims yeah. we should put we should do that for one of them uh, uh-huh. yeah. 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 yeah yeah we should have him up on the wall oh the last time I asked him like could we could we use one for a back, backdrop or something he's like you're gonna have to get it Amber you're gonna have to get it Ace yeah <laughs> That's like his. He's like his manager. She has his manager, but yeah. also like she just has a lot of his yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. Like she's housing it. So yeah. yeah. Well, he's so prolific. He just turns them out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like where's he gonna keep him? In- <laughs> yeah. There's he's, no room. He's, he needs yeah. To, he's, he needs to like. He's told me he's he's run out of room for sure. He can put him in my house. Yeah, or mine. Right? 
I mean, my friend, my friend Carly ran out of space. My friend Carly ran out of space for her paintings, and we bought a house. And she was like, "You're about to have a gallery in your house." Thank you very much. I would love that. Yeah, such an asset. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna stop recording. Thank you. Still recording. Yeah.